Fed cuts by 25 basis points, ends quantitative tightening, but the stock market's at an all-time high. And isn't the economy doing well? President Trump has always been telling us. So this is a bit unusual. And so we're going to talk about it. First, please subscribe. You can always unsubscribe later. We are not going to have a smooth financial future. And the only way for you to be notified when I, when I make a new comment is to subscribe. But first, I'm Ken Balso. I'm a CFA charter holder. I spent my career on Wall Street and in the financial markets, and I do this podcast to talk about financial and economic issues in ways that everyone can understand, even if you are not a financial professional. So let's start with the basics about the Fed's uh, decision this last week. Stock market's at an all-time high. Unemployment rate, 50-year lows. And Trump says the economy's doing really well. So this seems like it would be a crazy setup for the Federal Reserve to be cutting rates. So what's wrong with that? First of all, I would say, don't listen to politicians talk about the economy. They don't understand the economy, and even if they did, they're not going to tell you the truth. The president is really more of a cheerleader for the economy. He probably sees himself as more of an input into the economy doing well than some kind of objective arbiter of how it's doing. Trump, the candidate, would yell about how the numbers are fake, Trump, the president, of course, yells, hey, this is the greatest economy ever, right? So uh, regarding unemployment, much is made of the unemployment numbers. Uh, but the problem is unemployment is not a leading indicator. It doesn't tell you where we're going. It just tells you where we've been, but not where we're going. Otherwise, we could just follow the unemployment rate and Every time there was a new number announced, we could make a new dot on our graph. And when that number started to turn down, we could sell all our stocks, sell our portfolio, go to cash, and wait for the downturn where we could buy everything at a much cheaper price. But it doesn't work that way. I've built models for years using unemployment rate data. It doesn't provide reliable information ahead of a recession. A lot of the unemployment number is made up through uh, through statistical adjustments about new jobs that have been created, jobs that have been destroyed, and then it's revised after the fact. So if you look at that data series now, it will look like it was informative, but if you followed it in real time, it, it would not have been. Anyway, so unemployment rate, economy seems like it's doing well. These, seems, these things seem good, but they don't tell us a lot about the future. So let's, let's examine the negative side of the story for a minute. First, there's some economic indicators that are ugly, which I would say manufacturing in general. I'm going to put a graph up of, of the Chicago uh, manufacturing, and it shows that series, basically just a line, and prior to each recession, which is shaded in gray, that line dips down. So we're not quite at the levels where we've been at a recession in the past, but it's definitely a warning sign. And if you check out this graph, you'll see that this graph basically shows we've never been at this level and not had a recession. So this is not definitive. This is one of many different indicators, but this is just a general idea. Some of the manufacturing numbers don't look great. But the other thing, which I think is really by far the most important issue here, is that the yield curve is inverted. So stay with me. This, is not, this isn't that wonky. I'm going to explain what it means and why it's important. If you listen to the press conference, if you listen to Powell at the press conference, you never heard him use the term yield curve. That's why you're here, so you could understand what's, what's actually going on. Um, 
I spent years deconstructing recession models and building my own. So I'm familiar with a lot of this data, leading indicators, coincident and lagging indicators. I'm sorry to say that almost none of them are very good at leading. The models are typically trying to quantify the risk of a recession. And that also uses the stock market as an input because typically the market has turned down ahead of a recession. I was trying to build a model to quantify the risk of something bad happening in the stock market. So I wanted to use a lot of those indicators but not have the market itself included in that. Anyway, I'm gonna put up a graph now. This is the New York Fed's uh, yield curve-based recession probability indicator. We'll talk about what, what the yield curve is in a minute, but as you'll just see from this indicator, this is not a composite of indicators. This is just looks at the yield curve, and you'll see that marked in gray are recessions, and this graph sp bounces around zero in general, and then spikes, prior to recessions. It very rarely, if ever, spikes to a high level and we don't have a recession, so very few false positives. And it's generally since 1980, certainly always spiked prior to recession. So it's, it's, it's very reliable. So why does this matter? In my Where Does Money Come From podcast that I recorded a few weeks ago, I explained that dollars come from the banking system making new loans and that our system requires a constant new supply of dollars. So this is very simple. When the growth rate in dollars is higher, we have more economic activity and vice versa. Imagine if we just had a, a machine, a black box machine, and sometimes this machine would spit out lots of new dollars. You would, it would be reasonable to imagine that that would create more economic activity. The banking system basically is that machine. And it's more likely to make new loans when the yield curve is steep and less likely when it's flat or inverted. So to talk about the yield curve for a minute, let's just take a little, a little uh, thought experiment. Let's say someone comes to me and asks to borrow money for different lengths of time, right? My friend Tom comes and says, hey, could I borrow money for three months, one year, five years, 10 years? Here's a train. Okay, so. I might offer to loan money at 2% for three months, 2% annualized for 3% for a year. Five years would be higher than that. 10 years would be higher than that. Okay, the exact numbers don't specifically matter, but what does is that when the yield curve is normal, it is generally upward sloping, meaning that to loan money for a short period of time costs less than a longer period of time. So if I graph those numbers, that the amount that I was willing to lend to Tom for a three month, one year, two years, 10 years, the interest rate, that would be the a yield curve of the yield curve that I was willing to lend money to Tom. And when that curve is normal, the long-term rates are higher than the short-term rates. Okay, now imagine if I could borrow at that lower three-month rate I quoted to Tom and then lend to Tom at the higher 10-year rate. Okay, so this is what a bank does. Not necessarily those specific maturities, but you get the idea. And when the yield curve is inverted, that's a way of saying that the short rates, rather than being lower than the long-term rates, are the same or higher than long-term rates, right? So in that same example, I'm unlikely to borrow money at three months to lend to Tom for 10 years if both of those rates are 3%, right? Because I'm taking credit risk and that Tom might not pay me back and I'm not earning any difference in the spread in the meantime. So I'm going to show 
I'm putting up a graph now that this is basically just the rate of the government 10-year bond versus the government two-year bond, right? So this is, you, you could graph all different maturities. Each one of those is a different yield curve technically, uh, but this is for governments and specifically, specifically for the 10 years minus the two years. And what you can see is it's generally between zero and two and a half percent, the spread between those two maturities, but it goes to zero or even negative a few times in the last, say, 40 years. And roughly every time that happens, we go into a recession. At the moment, we are almost at zero. Uh, and of course, there's other maturities that would show that we are inverted or close to zero, right? So Bernanke and Greenspan, of course, they were Fed chair, when, respectively, when, when we had the tech bust in, uh, in the late 90s and then uh, when Bernanke raised rates so high that the yield curve inverted prior to the last bust that we have, they both explained away the fact that the yield curve was inverted. They would say things like, well, China's running a big uh, current account surplus, and they turn around and take those dollars and they buy treasuries with it. And that means that the yield on treasuries is so low, but hey, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong. That's actually a great thing. It's the equivalent in my example of saying, hey, look, just because Tom, People are willing to lend money to Tom at such a cheap rate that actually, instead of the curve being normal and the long-term rate being higher than the short-term rate, it's actually flat or inverted because people are willing to lend money to Tom at such an attractive rate. And so, and so Bernanke had said, "Hey, this is this is this is a good thing, right? People can have uh, Tom, and people like Tom can borrow money really cheaply and buy and use it for." inexpensive uh, mortgage payments and and all these things and so this is really great but actually they were wrong in my opinion they were clearly wrong and this is still frequently used as a way to try and explain away why an inverted yield curve is bad personally I don't think the reason why the curve is inverted is what matters the most only that it is and the reason is because once the yield curve is flat or inverted, and for and as time goes on where it continues to be flat or inverted, it removes the incentives for banks to make loans. And based on my previous video that I showed, the banking system expanding and making new loans is how new money is created. And we need a constant supply of new money to be created for our economy to be working well. Okay, so that's the yield curve. Just a few comments on other things that Powell said. He said it's an insurance cut and mentioned, well, global growth is weak, weak manufacturing, and inflation is below target. Okay, so this is, this is the part that kills me, right? The Fed never mentions the dollar. In the FOMC statement, in his press conference, in the Q&A, they never mention the dollar. Let's take each one of these things specifically. Weak global growth, right? Many companies borrow in dollars, governments too, foreign, borrow in dollars. And when the dollar is strong and going higher and higher, then this increases their debt burden and it's a headwind to growth. If they borrow dollars and the value of the dollar is going down, then that's a tailwind for growth. So one by one, weak global growth, okay? A weak dollar would help that. Weak manufacturing, okay, well consider this. Everything the US manufactures, when we sell that overseas, if the dollar is getting weaker, 
then the price of those goods is getting weaker, and that's a tailwind for manufacturing also. Okay, so also a weaker dollar would help the manufacturing sector. Below target inflation, well, we import and export, of course, in the U.S., but on balance, we import much more than we export. If the dollar gets weaker, then the price of everything we import goes up, and so the worry about below target inflation would also be cured by a weaker dollar, right? So this is the part that kills me. This is where I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, right? Powell is naming three things, all of which would be remedied by a weaker dollar policy, but he never mentions a weaker dollar policy. <clears throat> now, in fairness, if Powell was sitting here, he would say, Treasury's in, in charge of the dollar. I'm not in charge of the dollar, and that's totally true. Um, Yellen and Stan Fisher did the same thing and almost drove us right off a cliff with being easy for a very long time, but also using very hawkish words and keeping the dollar very strong. Um, also, just a few comments about Powell being criticized for being wishy-washy, that we could raise rates, we could cut rates. Market was clearly unhappy with his guidance, and of course, he, he understood that. Of course, he knows he's not giving the market everything that, that, that it wanted. So why? One explanation, I think, is that Powell knows the economy is not great, but asset prices are high. So this is a little different than things that than scenarios that we've had in the last 20, 30, 40 years, right? So I would, I would suggest maybe the Fed wants to help the economy, but doesn't want to make asset prices even more elevated because if the stock market rips higher and then later gets crushed, it could be destabilizing for the economy. So he's trying to walk the line, okay? He knows the next move will not be higher in rates, but he's trying to keep financial markets in check and not run away to the upside, but also provide the credit markets and the economy with the necessary support. 25 basis points clearly isn't going to be enough. Market sold off as soon as Powell was starting to talk about mid-cycle, and the bond market is saying it's BS, right? And it does matter because the Fed directly influences the shape of the yield curve. And the yield curve is a major determinant of how much money the banking system creates, right? So, so what should the Fed do? What do I think the Fed should do? First, let me say, I would never advocate for a system like we have, okay? But I won't spend a lot of time arguing about the way the system should be. I'm interested in understanding the system as it is with all the costs and benefits, and hopefully that'll inform us about the future. So for the Fed to accomplish its goals, not what I think would be great for the country, for the goals the Fed has and the tools it has available to accomplish those goals, then I would say the following. Stop quantitative tightening, which they announced last week, probably too late. Go going to need more rate cuts. You think about how to make the yield curve steeper, right? We're in a situation, we're in a bad situation. The yield curve is flat or inverted. We've got to make short-term rates lower and long-term rates higher, right? So those are the things. That will, that will normalize the yield curve. And so there are two main ways to do that. The Fed is in control of the short rates. Fed can cut rates more. And I think the Fed will have to cut rates more. The other way is that the Fed doesn't directly control long-term rates. But if the Fed can make the market believe that there will be more inflation in the future, then long-term rates will go up and we will have a more normal yield curve. Okay, and so again, not to sound like a broken record, this gets me back to a weak dollar. One, one way that people will believe that inflation will be higher in the future is if the dollar starts going down and people believe that the dollar is going to keep going down. Now, of course, 
Mnuchin might come out and might start a campaign to weaken the dollar, in which case that might bail the Fed out. That, that certainly could happen. Um, so, but if Mnuchin doesn't do that, it looks more and more like the Fed is trapped. And I think the only way out is to run the economy hot and to let inflation run hot. You know, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers used to make this argument I'm about to make all the time when Janet Yellen was Fed chair. And he argued that we have an asymmetric risk. Typically, the Fed cuts four or five percent, but we're at two percent now, right? So let's look at what the risks are. Let's say interest rates are too high. If interest rates are too high, then that makes it more likely that we're going to have a recession. And the tools we have right now, if we have a recession, are a, a grab bag of very unattractive tools, right? We're going to go back to zero very quickly. Fed is going to have to start buying assets, and it already owns two trillion in government bonds on its balance sheet. Federal Reserve has said that they don't like using non-traditional tools like quantitative easing. They've explicitly admitted they don't fully understand the benefits and the costs, right? So they're going to be right back into this situation very quickly. Let's look on the other hand. What if rates are too low for too long? Then what's the risk? Well, then we'll get higher inflation. We'll get inflation that's maybe above the comfort level of the Fed. If that happens, there is all the tools that we've ever had to deal with that we still have. We could easily raise rates. They could sell down assets on their balance sheet. It would be very easy to deal with that problem. So that's the asymmetric risk. We'd be much better off bumping up against the scenario where we're getting too much inflation and policy is running too loose than vice versa. So let me be clear again. I think these policies are harmful. I would not build the system that we have right now, but it, because I think the long-term costs of these policies are so large that we shouldn't have the system that we do. But for the Fed to achieve its short-term goals, and the Fed is a short-term actor, the government in general is a short-term actor, this is what I think they are faced with, and this is what I think they'll do. I didn't create this crazy system.